you got to learn enough to know what things are fads and what things are here to stay and what opportunities exist. This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on topical and central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself, Michael Beasley. Let's jump in. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Here's the first question for you, buddy. You literally coined the phrase retail arbitrage. I think it's fair to say back in the day it's when true. you started to teach. It's true. It's true. So it's absolutely question, true. I, like, I'm not a, I'm a, I try to be a no, humble guy, true. but I will fully take yeah. credit for that. Is retail arbitrage dead? It is not dead. It has changed. Okay. Tell changed us about dramatically. it. Dramatically. Oh my gosh. It used to be when I got big in retail arbitrage it was when stores had terrible inventory management systems. So they would have like way too much product for way too long, which will go on clearance and just you know, incredibly discounted clearance that you almost don't see anymore. Just to move stuff, right? As companies were growing and then just, just clearance it out and get rid of it. So I've gotten better at that, which has changed the game. When I first started doing it, there was no iPhone, right? There's no scan power app. There was no Amazon app. There was none of that stuff. You had eBay completed auctions that you could write down some notes, then go home and look up and then go back to the store. It turned out to be a good deal kind of thing. Now we've got Keepa and, and the amount of data that we have to make a buying decision is insane, which I yeah. think people don't realize how good it is. But for retail arbitrage being dead, the only thing that would kill it is that people stop buying physical products. A yeah. uh, hundred years from now, when everything's like metaverse and NFTs and all that stuff, like I'm not going to be around. So I'm not really worried about it. In the foreseeable future, which is where I think people should play, it's not that people are still buying physical products. The pandemic showed that people love to shop and spend money, even if they don't need the stuff. They want to get that stuff delivered. Should have bought some stock yeah. in UPS and FedEx. So they were certainly <laughs> busy. And there's inefficient markets. And, and I blame or I attribute the inefficient markets to in the sense of as time goes by, people are going to want to buy products, get into different things, learn new things. And the morbid side of it is like people pass away and all of a sudden, like all their stuff, where is it going to go? Some of it's going to end up on eBay. Some of it's going to end up in thrift stores. We could buy it and then you sell it on eBay. There's always going to be this, this opportunity where products are in the, not the least efficient, but not the most efficient location. And there's an opportunity thanks to the internet and sites like eBay and Amazon and Facebook Marketplace and all these sites uh, where you can say, look, I have something here that should be in someone else's hands and they would value it a heck of a lot more than what it is doing here on the shelf. So you can use the internet to bring that value to them. And as the one who does that, you collect a little bit of profit on, on the way. Love it. I, what, what do you, you never really did retail arbitrage, but you get it. I did it right? one time. <laughs> it was awesome. You didn't it's know my fun, retail arbitrage story? I, I I bought items at Office Depot for a penny a piece. They were stick on metallic oh, labels for like Office windows. Depot you remember penny. my story? I bought 270 of those for $2.70 and sold them for $10 a piece for three years. When Office Depot was, at, you know, clearing, clearancing out, you know, how they do, they have their penny deals in the basket, whatever, before they take them off the floor. But anyway, to your point, I didn't do it much. And I do think it's a fascinating model, though. 
I've always been mesmerized by it. I think there's always going to be opportunity. In fact, last night, I was just looking at the Uline catalog. And I was saying to myself, could you just take the stuff out of here and like build a business reselling it? Like it, it would just come down to, are you a good marketer? And you could you set up a good click funnel or Shopify site? And could you take well, a few of those items for a niche audience or purpose and just mar- arbitrage it out? So anyway, yeah, just I, I love those ideas. So It's funny you say that. I actually did that back. This is at least... 14 years ago, I, I remember I was still in Texas when I was doing this. I had a Uline catalog. Uline was local in Dallas, which is amazing. So I, I took a trailer to pick up my orders. It was wow. order so many things. Uh, yeah. I didn't want to pay the shipping. Like, give me a break. But I get everything the next day. And I look at the catalog and I was like, you know what? I could sell these bundles of eight by eight boxes, like a 25 pack. I made all these eBay listings. I probably still got them somewhere, right? The thumbnail image. This was back. You know what else I, I take credit for? I invented the border thumbnail eBay image. We put the border around it. That was me. I was the first one to do that. I actually made a listing for nice. eBay thumbnail border service, right? <laughs> send me an image and I will put a border on it for you and I will send it back. And this was, again, at least 14 or 15 years ago. But the Uline thing, I've seen it. This is a cool thing you can do if you have the Uline catalog, which is cool the first time, except every single time it's pretty much the same catalog, not usually yeah, a lot of new stuff. Exactly. In I've seen things on Amazon and on eBay where you can actually see if they have a sales rank on Amazon, what's sold or reviewed, sold or completed listing. You know what's sold. And you're like, that's from Uline. Then you go look yeah. on Uline and you're like, oh, they're making $3.40 every time that this thing sells. Yeah. And they've sold 47 of them. And they're making over $100 a month on that one single product. And then you yeah. add 30 products like that. Now you're making three. Like you can see that and you can reverse engineer it, which to me yeah. is the cool part where there's not this like mystery. And I think that's why people like retail arbitrage. Yeah. There's no barrier to entry. There's no minimum orders. There's no, like you don't have any of these rules except... You can't always replenish the stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now you get into replens, of course, but in general, if you're buying clearance and these things, and, and because it's there's no barrier to entry, anybody can do it. So if someone says, yeah. you know what? I'll flip those things for $3 each, yeah. and I'll do it for two fifty, And then it's this battle, unfortunately. Okay, but I got another question for fun. you. Yeah, next question. <laughs> I saw you post on Facebook last night that you apparently, I know this about you because you've told me before, but you like to buy expired domain names and do a little domain name reselling business or is that arbitrage in your mind? So my question is, what's your favorite form of arbitrage online right now? Any marketplace, any strategy, any That's type of thing. One. But my first reaction would be to say information arbitrage because it's scalable. I'm, I'm heavy on print on demand products like that, where you can turn information into products and sell them and market them, no cost to, to set up and all these things. That's a little yeah. more advanced. I don't think everybody's there yet mentally in, in the sense of, understanding that they have something valuable to offer as step one, and then turning that into a product, step two, and then marketing that product. It's, it's a big uh, kind of thing. It's a big yeah. process, but big reward at the end. And that's what my, my book is, is about. It's coming out at this month, this month, not to plug my book, but it's coming out this month. But the domain thing, domains, in my opinion, are like the original NFTs. I don't know if you had trouble explaining NFTs to somebody. My kids give me such heat about it because they're like, NFTs are not going to be big, dad. That's stupid. It's just an image. I was like, Y'all are old enough to get this, but apparently y'all aren't getting it. (laughs) NFTs are here to stay. And domains, I think, are a great example of the original NFT. It doesn't really exist. Uh, It's digital only, but it is unique. Okay. I had the same exact conversation with my kids last night. Are they a fad? Are they beanie babies or are they not? And I use the example or corollary that isn't a song the original NFT isn't music an NFT? It's a digital asset. It's unique. No, but they didn't like that. Uh, they didn't like that example either. 
But right. yeah, okay. But let's talk about Can't your from arbitrage. Are you arbitraging NFT? Are you in the NFT biz now uh, of arbitrage? I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not in NFTs, but I do I technically own an NFT, but it was just like the support of buddy kind of thing. I'm not flipping and investing okay. and all that stuff. I did, and it's I been a horrible failure. So, <laughs> well, in, NBA yeah. Top Shots, I thought like a year ago, NBA Top Shots was the first NFT play. And I was like, that if NFTs are real, this will go somewhere. I've totally lost a bunch of money, but yeah. <laughs> I bought some Top I, Shot and a few hundred bucks. So there, so there you go. Let's talk a little about NFTs because I think people miss are misunderstanding not just what they are but the first like wave one series one issue one of of nba top shot i haven't looked in a long time but i am guessing it is still premium because it's early it's first it's original it's og and that's the part of it it's not the fact that it's a lebron nft and there's a different lebron nft it's like no this is the first one and i think some of the things that are important are to remember that humans are irrational Humans put value on things that if you really stop and think about it, do we consider this NFT, this piece of the blockchain that represents LeBron James? Now, why are we putting value on this? And there's plenty of people who would say, I put no value on that. And they are right for them. And there's other people who say, no, we do put a lot of value on this. And, and look at the high-end art world. That's not my world. I don't ever see myself getting into that world, ever, no matter how much money I make doing anything. It's not for me. It's not, I'm not interested in it, but other people yeah. are. And yeah. they use it for different financial strategies and all of these things. But humans, uh, here's an example. I was just on vacation uh, and a, a lifeguard, we were in Jamaica. This lifeguard came up to me and, and he realized the color red. And I had a red hat on and my red sunglasses on and I had red shorts on. And he's like, I thought he was joking at first, but he wanted to buy my shorts and my visor. And my, we've been in Jamaica a ton of times. This has never come <laughs> That's up weird, like, man. That's weird. <laughs> I just didn't think he was serious at first. Then he was, I could tell he was serious. And I was like, yeah. you know what, bro? Like these shorts have a hole in them, but if you like, you can have them if you want them. Like, I was trying to be like full disclosure. There's like, a hole in these shorts. And he really, want, he really wanted them. I was like, you know what? I can do that. Like I can replace these shorts. I can replace this. It was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers visor that I got off Amazon. It's replaceable. It's fungible. My sunglasses, to me, were not. They were custom red Ray-Ban sunglasses with a custom case with had my name on it. My neighbor got them for me. They were special to me. Are they technically fungible? Yes. I could have bought a new pair. I could have given him that pair, gone to the you know, Ray-Ban store and bought an exact same pair. But to me, it's like, no, these glasses to me are non-fungible, meaning that these ones represent uh, a gift yeah. that's been given to me even though they can completely be replaced. And if you had the sunglasses, you'd be like, I don't care. I don't know where these came from. I don't care. To you, they're fungible. And that's you just have to understand that about humans. Like, I know that's yeah. dumb. I know yeah. that doesn't make any sense. I know my neighbor would actually be like, dude, I, I don't care if you give those ones away and get a new pair. Like, it doesn't matter. But to me and, and to all of us, like all the books you yeah. have back there, things that we have in our house, like that passed yeah. down from generations or parents or, or how much of your kids' artwork did you save for way too long? Yeah. Right. We're like, oh, for Pete's sake, I can take a picture of this like potato that mm -hmm. you know and, and throw it away. But no, we hold on to it because my kid drew that. It's so, non-fungible. So your basic thesis is they're here to stay in some they're form of value. In some, some form of value. They'll mature. They'll mm -hmm. the use cases will change. Contracts. The beanie babies are still here to stay. Beanie babies are here, but the price relative to what you own is pennies compared to what they were at their peak of the market. So is it a, is it here to stay, but the price is completely irrational and going to pop? Is it a bubble that's going to pop? No, because it's not the same thing. It's not NFTs as a whole versus Beanie Babies as a whole. Yeah. NFTs, you know, like Beanie Babies compared to NFTs would be like the entire toy market, including all of plush and all this. Is this mm -hmm. you know, There's contracts under NFTs. There's artwork. There's memberships. There's books. I'm trying to figure out if I have time to launch my book as an NFT. If you own this NFT, you can download the book. 
And if you want to, you can sell that NFT. Now you won't be able to download the book anymore, but you can sell it to someone else. And all of a sudden, hey, there's only a hundred of these, right? Now all of a sudden the market is built to where like if people read it and then they put it back out there. And guess what? I get a little bit of a cut every single time. You ever gotten this book, uh, Breakthrough no, Advertising, Eugene Schwartz? I've seen it. I've been told to read it. I think I bought it for $89, something like that. And it's one of those books that is hard to get a copy of. And it's not in Kindle, not in Audible. And you have to get, you know, a hardback copy. And there's some books like that. Some copywriting books do that sometimes where they get like cuckoo. You you structurally did that uh, on purpose on Amazon. But uh, a lot of times older books will be like that. To your point, that's sort of an interesting twist. I don't know. So let's keep going on. But I don't know, man. To me, the jury's out on NFTs. But here's what in a foggy fog of war situation, the operator's question is, how do I proceed safely, but not proceed? Because the Luddites lose out, but the people who are on the bleeding edge maybe lose a lot of money. But the question is, how do you stay in the game? How do you learn? How do you see what's happening in an ecosystem so that you understand if there is an opportunity, how to take it without being foolish or being duped or being a sucker? And, and that's the place to me where it's, okay, I'm going to learn. I'm going to observe. I'm not going to call it rat poison, which is Charlie Munger's famous phrase for crypto. I'm going to say, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's not, uh, but time will tell and we'll see how it plays out. And I'm going to be a part of it in the future, if it makes sense. Yeah. It's a piece of cake. There's one simple piece of advice yeah. and like, I'll give credit yeah. to Gary Vee because he's the one who said it. Like you should only be playing in the crypto NFT space with money that you can afford to lose. Mm -hmm. If you can't afford to lose it, you shouldn't be playing because we're in that super early stage and there will be incredible yeah. rewards for the right yeah. people making the right moves. And some of those people are going to make lucky yeah. and some people are going to make unlucky moves. So you've got to remember that like the FOMO, like, I feel, I feel the FOMO of, oh, but like, oh, I should have got a board ape when they were only there. Dude, I saw mm -hmm. CryptoPunks when they were like five grand. I saw Gary Vee's V friends that were sitting there, nobody buying them for half an ETH, right? They're, they're now worth $80,000, Yeah, right? Yeah. Like I have that FOMO of, oh my gosh, I missed yeah. out, I missed out. And it's like, now I need, oh, get credit cards out and just do whatever I can to get in on these things. And oh, I saw Bitcoin at 60,000, I'm gonna get in before it goes to 100, mm -hmm. then drops down to 30. Like people should only be playing with money they can afford to lose. And yeah. depending where your income level's at, you know, that can be a hard decision. But the fact that we can join Discord servers and, and Facebook groups and read books and listen to podcasts yeah. and learn without having to have our money in the game. You could pretend to buy Bitcoin. As yep. if you put buy $5,000 worth of Bitcoin, would that, would that have been a good decision a year from now? Yeah. And you can look and be like, you know what? It wasn't. Or what it was. Yeah. And everything that I keep guessing on, I'm right. You know what? Maybe I should. Maybe I do have the confidence to put some actual money in the game. But hey, you might be wrong and be like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I played with pretend money and not real money. A pro tip just to... Uh if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to take Chris up on his idea for doing a phantom set of uh, crypto accounts, you could use cointracking.info app. Use cointracking.info. It's a great little no, app. It's a very nice okay. app. I, you can obviously, if you own crypto, you enter your assets and then you keep it keeps track for you in real time. You can just look. But if you, but you can totally do that with just a fictitious set of phantom purchases just to see what would happen. What if I bought SHIB today? or doge or whatever but anyway okay i'm gonna ask you another question totally different topic <laughs> frustrate you the most about your online business and what do you like the most about it the both sides of that frustration and enjoyment you have to promise to answer it as well okay because i feel like i'm doing too much talking okay, okay. um i get frustrated at the there, there are so many choices and so many opportunities out there so for me to make a choice about something includes choosing not to do 99 other things and 
I struggle with that. I, I get hung up on that. I waste a lot of time on that. I delay things unnecessarily for that because it's not a, these are good ideas. These are bad ideas. It's they're all good ideas and you can only choose which ones you're going to do. And you might not pick the best right idea. And that, that constant, Oh, did I make the right choice? Or what if I did this? I don't know. I have a little bit of like ADHD overthinking brain kind of thing. So it's not torture, but I, I would like to turn it off sometimes and just commit to something. So I've been trying to be a little bit better about that. We use an example on one of the previous shows about like when you sign a five-year lease, Mentally, you're five years in that building and five years in that business and five years. And then you can reevaluate in five years. With a lot of the stuff that we do now, we can reevaluate daily and be like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's change and do this. Let's flip around and do this. And it's a blessing and a curse at the same time because there's massive amounts of opportunity. There's too much opportunity, which sounds weird to yeah. say. There is so much opportunity. So it can be frustrating to, to have to choose which ones to do. And after doing this for 20 years publicly, I feel like I'm yeah. hitting that stride. Like I know where I fit in. I know what I, I know how I can provide the most value to people. I know how I can bring in an income level that I'd be very happy with and all these things, but it took time. Um, and I would always pass that information or that, that advice on everything that you want to do is going to take longer than you think. Uh, so be patient, trust the process. And remember, did you, did you watch the Kanye documentary that came out? Mm-mm. No, I've heard it's good. Though. It's on Netflix. I think it's really good in the sense of it shows his backstory and his 20 years of hustling and trying and failing and being told wow. no and using his own money to fund things. Like, And now he's like this big star and people are like, oh, you must be like from a famous family. It's like, no. <laughs> he's not, but being able to see it, we don't see that behind the scenes for most people. We just see them when they're, you know, making an Instagram ad with their Lamborghini and be like, Oh, I want to do that. But you don't see the, the behind the scenes thing. The fact, what I like most is the fact that we can basically help people at scale and be rewarded financially for it. It's the most marketable business on planet. Hey, what do you want to do? You need help. You want to learn how to do this. I can help you. Great. <laughs> Let's use the internet and the tools available so that I can help you get to where you want to go. It's a, it's a great feeling of internal satisfaction. And the fact that we get paid for it is even better. And you can certainly do it for free and pro bono if you want. Although my experience, helping people for free, the people who pay you to help them take more action and actually make more progress. I don't know if you've had a similar experience with that. Yeah, I totally agree. But it's a mixed bag because a freemium model is one I've camped on for a long time and really, so it depends on how you do it. Yeah. Okay. So what do you like most about your online biz? And then I'll answer these two. <laughs> that was like the, 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 what I do like. It's a, the fact that we can do these things. Being born when we were born is mm. like dumb luck. No one chose to be born. So the fact that we're in the, the you know web 2.0 and 3.0 stages and able to help people at scale where normally you could help the people in your town, but you could not reach the other people. You couldn't share information. And the fact that humans are able to share so much information is why we've been able yeah. to collaborate and build such yeah. amazing things lately. So it's, yeah, that's what I like the most. I would do this if I made way too much money, I would still do this because like, yeah. I like doing this. Yeah, totally. Okay. You know, you're just asking questions, man. You're getting off the hook. I know, right? What frustrates me the most about our online business is honestly very little. And because I was in nine to five job for 20 years and uh, we wanted to be entrepreneurs and got to the point where we started to figure it out. And the more we looked at the business model of online selling and the online opportunities versus a nine to five career, the more I realized I don't want to be a part of the nine to five career. But there comes a point when you scale online that you turn yourself into what you were leaving. So now I'm now we have a company and now we we are the employer. Now we're the ones who have set up the system by which other people work. And so it's come full circle. And I think that's the only um, that's the only shadow side of being an online business is you have to decide 
Do you want to be a kitchen table entrepreneur, laptop lifestyle, and just enjoy a, a good opportunity online? Or do you want to build a company and have an operating business? And those are hard choices uh, because you then can create what you wanted to not be a part of. And uh, you have to think that through. But what I like the most about it is I'm an educator at heart. I like to write. I like to teach. I like to build frameworks and outlines. I like to just read books and synthesize information. And it creates a perfect platform to be able to do that. Am I th the best in the world at it? No, not even not even C-list <laughs> in terms of outline educators. Maybe B-list, I, I don't even know. But it doesn't matter to me because I enjoy it. It's every day trying to help people learn, metabolize information and get better at their game. And that's what I really enjoy. And that's what I think this uh, this opportunity exists for all of us. For anybody who wants to be an educator, it, the opportunity is incredible. It's just, it, it's never been better. Dan Miller is somebody I like and was part of his mastermind for a while, 48 Days to the Work You Love uh, author. And he, when you go to his offices, he shows you his first course that he created for whatever it was, uh, Conan Doyle or whatever, the Nightingale, yeah, sorry, publishing. And it was like an old fashioned cassette and book thing. And educators of 30 years ago, that's the option. They make something like that. But educators today, you could literally create a course in the next couple hours, have it online on beautiful sites, Udemy or your own site, Teachable, Thinkific, uh, you know, Kajabi site. There's no barrier to doing it. It's just understanding the process, learning it, and then getting better and better at it and uh, sharpening your saw or sharpening your ax and getting better and better at the process. Um, and that's what I love about the great game of online selling broadly information products, also, that applies to physical products and digital items as well. But anyway, that's my answer. Yeah, uh, no, that's a good answer. It's the, the two things that, that you said where I fear I feel people get hung up is one realizing they have something to offer. They suffer from imposter syndrome, which my favorite advice to give people lately is it's yeah. good to have imposter syndrome because imposters mm -hmm. don't get imposter syndrome. It's a good thing to have. So realize that, acknowledge it. And then be willing to put yourself out there. I, I talked to a guy this morning who was like, yeah, but there's other people who are better at this than I am. I'm like, so? Who freaking cares? Yeah. Like, like yeah. that doesn't matter. There's always somebody who's better at something, mm -hmm. but they may not be offering a course. They may not be offering to help other people. They may not be writing a book. It doesn't matter. You don't have to know everything. And I, I don't like the phrase, you just need to know more than your students. Like, you just need to be one page ahead in the textbook. Mm -hmm. eh, I get it, like, as a phrase, but yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of that as a actual yeah. practice. But I think people need to realize that if you've got information to help people who are new into something where, Hey, if you want to get into X and have questions, I could answer those because mm -hmm. I'm like intermediate. I'm not a pro, but I'm, I, I've been yes. where you are and you could help them along. And they're gonna be like so happy and thankful. And they're going to financially reward you and buy your books and join your mastermind and attend your seminar, yeah. whatever it might be. If you can just answer their questions about a topic that you probably think is easy because you actually enjoy it. So you're like, I don't, how do you guys not know this? They don't yeah. <laughs> so help them. somebody. Somebody shared the framework with me a long time ago. I read it somewhere and it was very helpful to me. And that was, so there's different types of content creators. And one can be a reporter where you go and you report on what's happening. You, you don't have to be the expert to say what's happening on Shopify right now. You just have to metabolize information and be a reporter about it. The other one is you can be an interviewer. You can just go find the best people in the world and interview them. You don't have to be an expert to do that. The other type is to be a practitioner where you say, I've sold, you know, 3 million things this year and here's how you do it. But any one of those or a combination of all three of them creates a beautiful 
uh, opportunity for sharing knowledge and educating people. Yeah, it's basically you're curating information mm-hmm. because there's way too much information. So if you can curate it for someone, and it's basically a, a function or an equation of providing value to other people. Like, yeah. hey, I get value out of reading the summary of everything that's ha- happening in the Amazon world these days. I'm on so many yeah. email lists about things that are like, oh, oh, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't had that that you know, write-up. They're not written by sellers. They're not written by none of this stuff, by vendors and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, people need to figure out what they want to do and where they can plug themselves in and then get over themselves and realize that, wait a minute, I can do this. And yeah. I might as well try. And first one's going to be the worst one, but I'm going to get it out of my system. And- exactly. Yeah. Love it. Okay, next question. What have you learned recently that really blew your mind about e-commerce, online selling, the whole game? You know. Oh, that's a tough one, man. That's, that's a tough on-the-spot question. That's this a, is not. Well, it's not that it's hard. It really blew my mind. I'm trying to. I've seen too many like amazing opportunities that had short shelf lives, uh, or short shelf lives, and didn't act right. Oh, I got in too late, or I saw an opportunity and I was like. Okay, I'm gonna get to that someday. But it was such a good opportunity. It was almost like a loophole. They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna shut that door. Like we can't do that anymore. And I've got a few on the radar right now that I'm like, you know what? I ain't sleeping on these. I am hustling and getting these things done in terms of like exposure and marketing splash and all these things. Which I'm I'm not super fearful that they're gonna go away, but they could potentially go away. And I think people need Mm -hmm. to always keep that in mind. Amazon could shut down the FBA program. Amazon could shut down the KDP. I don't think they will. But if they did. I'm not going to stop it. I have to pivot into something else. So when you see an opportunity, man, I got to go for it. And this is a lesson I've had to learn myself the hard way, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. by miss. But when you do a lot of misses and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to miss this next one. And and actually take action. So yeah, I'm trying to like blow my own mind. You're like, actually change. It's really interesting the way you've just described that because I like the All In podcast. And recently they were talking about marketing tactics that burn out where a Silicon Valley company will learn a growth hacking strategy or whatever, and they'll be like, amazing, this 10X or 100X our outcomes. And then a year and a half later, somebody else tries it and fail. And the reality is there's a season of life for some of these ideas and sometimes for opportunities online. And the worst thing you can do is hear about a five-year-old opportunity, thinking it's still something that is rational or relevant. And there's nuance there where you have to figure out, okay, is this a timeless opportunity? And it's just morphing or was it a season in time that, you know, the, the, the train has left a station and there's a little bit of a discernment. You've got to really, you've got to learn enough to know what things are fads and what things are here to stay and what opportunities exist. And I think that's an interesting way to approach the whole topic of new things that are coming out that might excite you or be an opportunity. Dude, I, there needs to be more content about that, honestly, of like, evergreen opportunities yeah. versus no one's go read a book about Google AdWords from like 2007, right? Like it's, it's going to be completely irrelevant, but if people have a better idea of, or being able to discern and, and check for themselves, okay, is this evergreen? Is yeah. it, there's a famous Bezos quote that I, I use all the time where he's doing some presentation, like what's Amazon working on in the next 10 years. We're going to try to offer lower prices and more selection and faster shipping speed <laughs> because we know that's what people are going to want in 10 years. Yeah. There's no, no possible scenario where it's like, you know what? I wish Amazon's prices were a little bit higher and the shipping was just a little slower. So yeah. you know these things, but if it's like a, Hey, here's how to hack the Kindle system and, and blast your book to number one, that might not work next year. And I think it's a cautionary tale to people who like a company who does stumble onto a hack and get big built off of it. Then when that hack yep. goes away, then they're like, oh shoot, what now what do we do? Because we don't actually yep. know how to yep. get this big without stumbling onto a loophole. The biggest loophole that I've stumbled onto 
is mm-hmm. and not necessarily first, but early. I was early on FBA. I was early on KDP. I was early on merch. I was, yeah. you know, because I enjoy it. Like I, there, there's plenty of things I was early on that failed too. But like nobody remembers those. Yeah. But like I don't mind trying new things and you know putting myself out there. And I think other people should as well, and not get held up. Like oh, but what if someone like doesn't like my profile picture off? I don't know. Yeah. Man. No one cares. I think that's a skill set that you and I both have found our web Pinterest marketing was my early in marketing topic in 2011. And I got the opportunity to write Pinterest power from McGraw Hill. I learned in that process, it was a traditional book deal as I started with a blog and two weeks later, I had a traditional book deal. And what I realized was early in, and I didn't even understand how big a deal it was to be early in. And I learned through that process, when you're early in on a subject matter, all the traditional publishers are looking for content, all the big news article, blog article type sites are looking for content, the big sites like Udemy or other course platforms are looking for educators. And when you're early in, all of those things unlock to you. If you have a modicum of marketing skill and success to just put something out, and you did that with retail arbitrage, obviously, and, and your leadership around that. My Pinterest power book did well for me, and then it turned into the Instagram power book, which has been my best. My Shopify course on Udemy is the same example. I was early in six years ago. I guess it was 2016. So yeah, that's what I'll go. And now I have almost 40,000 students because I was early in on teaching Shopify. And so if there is a trade in- skill... Yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah, totally. That's the difference. It's not. No, it wasn't a gimmick. I was all in. I was like learning. Yeah, to you use saw these an opportunity. Yeah. And did, did anybody try to talk you out of it? The Pinterest thing to me was interesting in 2011 because people just didn't care about Pinterest, and even it's never become. There was maybe a a 12 month period or 18 month period where it was sort of trendy, but it's never been the darling of social media. And so people just didn't really see value in what I was doing. But once they would read the book or see my trainings, they would be like, oh my gosh, it's a huge opportunity. I think we're similar in this way that we're just, we look for new, they they catch our eye and we see opportunity and and we put them into practice. I think the people around me get get used to me doing it. You know, it's like, (laughs) oh, that's just what he does. He does the next new thing that he finds. Okay, that's what I do. I got good advice for people that are listening. What's the best way to phrase it? So the, the Pinterest thing comes out and the opportunity in it, right? Now, I think people, when they see opportunity in something, I think too many of them think there's no opportunity for me there. Right. Like I'm not going to build a big Pinterest board. And like, that's just not for me. Instead of saying, you know what, there's an opportunity here for some people, maybe not specifically for me, but just because I'm not into Pinterest doesn't mean Pinterest shouldn't exist. Okay. Pinterest exists. I can see how a a marketing company might use this. I can see how a a product company could, I can see how they should use it. You know what? I am going to share that information with them. I'm going to package up that information in a way that can benefit people who would be able to use the tools and the opportunity that the Pinterest represents or anything else. And I've got a Facebook group where I did this for a while where I just share stuff. Like the same for me, but if you're in this business and you want to do this, this would be amazing. And people got it eventually because it, it used to be like, oh, well, Chris, if it's so amazing, why aren't you doing it? I was like, because it has nothing to do with me. It doesn't mean it's not a good opportunity for some people. Yeah, and it's the totally. most amazing networking. I don't know how many people I'll message say, hey, I saw this uh, and, I, and I thought of you. And if I were you, this is how I would use it. You may have a better idea kind of thing. And people are like, oh, thanks so much. I did not know this existed. That's really cool. And I use my kind of curiosity and, and I, my enjoyment out of this. I like yeah. reading sites and new technology and all these things. But if something's not for me, I'll find out who it's for and let yeah. them know. And you build this network by accident because I'm just sharing it because I'm interested. And I think there's a lot of people like me who just haven't put that second step in there to be like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna reach out and help someone. I'm going to spend 20 seconds and help somebody else 
with that with the expectation that nothing may happen, they may not even get the message, but it might turn into something. And if you do that enough times, you can be like, holy smokes, I'm going to write a book about this Pinterest thing, even though it's not for me, but I'm going to write a yeah. book for marketers about how to use Pinterest and get out there being early to the market. And you know, those opportunities are everywhere daily. You just have to look for them and, and then decide and commit to, to doing something with it. I totally agree. Okay, man, let's uh, let's wrap it. But before we wrap up today, tell us more about your book launch that's coming out. What's the deal? I'm on your list. I'm ready to. I'm ready. So <laughs> what what's coming our way? I'm I'm one of the uh, eager students. Dude, it, it's. Down. I'm not trying to flex on it, but I do believe it's like it's so flex. Good. It's a little what's in that? depth. It's thorough. It's my birthday this month, so I'm like, do I do a birthday? So this is exactly what we talked about at the beginning of the show. I have so many options. Do I release a special edition as an NFT? Do I release an edition with? private coaching included? Do I blast it out at a low price offer and, or do I go full price or do I run a challenge at the same time as the launch? Do I, I have all these things going on, but it, it's close to being done. Just because a final kind of revision to make sure all the chapters line up and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, it helps people or it shows people how, again, some of the things we talked about here, helping them identify something that they're good at, that can provide value to other people and then how to package it up into mm -hmm. a digital product format, which you can, of course, sell digitally. Or in my opinion, the best, most powerful way to do this is to take that digital information, convert it into uh, a book where you get access to the information, not just turned on the words, but stuff that you get in the course, you now get access to by purchasing the book. Now it's physical, it's prime eligible, it's on demand, doesn't cost anything. The marketing opportunities open up incredibly. It's a bit of a process, which is why the book is long. So it helps people get, I've got a chapter about imposter syndrome. I've got a chapter about Dunning-Kruger effect. It includes launching, it includes marketing, it includes all of the hacks, uh, and, and, and good hacks, not bad hacks but all the amazing ways that nobody is teaching about how to launch products through KDP and get instant exposure, yeah. possibly loopholes that disappear. That's one of the things I'm like, I got to get this out before this <laughs> potentially disappear. I don't think Amazon will get rid of it, but you know, the fact that they could makes me want to rush and get it out. It, it's really fun. And it's something that I could spend a lot of time you know, talking about as someone who has gone from yeah. retail arbitrage, all of these things to be like, you know what, this is where I could settle in and really, I, could, I really enjoy it. And there's such a massive opportunity for people. Yeah. And it, and it comes out this month. So I'll, I'll definitely have some specials and some announcements and all that stuff. I'm not trying to plug I'm, it too much on the, the call. Plug show. it, buddy. Plug it. I'm excited about <laughs> it. I'm already willing and able to hear the plug, but I'm also on the list already to, to, to learn from you. I just as an outside observer, you pioneered a model. What was it? Probably six, seven years ago that everyone knows worked well but no one else has done that I'm aware of, of by launching, yeah. launching, launching a big course as, as a book on KDP with the strategies swirled together with most people have done big launches on Kajabi or teachable or thinkific with Facebook ads supporting them. People have not done what you rigged up. And this book, I think if I'm understanding what you're saying is going to teach people how to take something. And I have mine ready. I, I have, <laughs> this is a, my profit habits workbook. I have not published and I want to do it under your model. I'm going to be your student on this and learn how to do it in the way in which you're describing, because am I getting it right? You basically pioneered how to launch a book, a, a whole course using Kindle and reap the massive rewards that can come from that. And I'm excited about it, man. That's going to be very cool to implement. 
it's hard to believe it's been seven or eight years since online arbitrage came out. And that was an accident, right? Like I just, I was making this course yeah. and I already published through KDP. So I was like, what if I gave access? You know what? I can put QR codes. You know what? I'll make them unlisted videos. So you can only get them if you get the yeah. book. You know what? I'll do, I conclude this. And I did it. And it was a massive, it was a bigger project than I ever would have imagined. If I yeah. knew know yeah. how big it was, I never would have done it. Um, yeah. And it worked really well. And I'm a little bit surprised and not surprised that more people haven't done it. Because yeah, it's harder that's my than point. Most. Yeah. Uh, but once but it's, tried, also like, oh not, gosh, um, so it's also not. It's also not. It's not a hack, but it's not a direct use case of KDP. And I think if people don't understand how to use KDP for basic use case, they won't understand how to use it for your advanced use case. And I think that's the piece that's interesting to me. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out and how other people uh, replicate your your model there. So anyway, I'm pumped about it, man. I'm really excited about it. So well, I'm glad, dude. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah, I'm an open book for you. So you know, let, let's there make some go. good stuff happen, and, and everybody can listen along and, and join us yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. All right, this has been great. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. We broadcast this into our Omni Rocket Pro user community, so you can watch the replays there, and of course on the Call In app, which is growing and growing. It's an honor to be able to be on the Call In app. And uh, to be in the top 20 in business as a podcast, and we're in the top 20 in technology, and we're top 10 in education, which apparently is a weaker category than business, or, but whatever. So uh, it's fun to be in the top lists for the uh, categories. And next week, we'll be back with uh, Michael and Kyle, I would assume. Chris, thanks, as always, for hanging out. It's been a fun time. You bet. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you again. soon, buddy. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.